The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey, is this heaven? No. It's Iowa. Do you have trouble physically making it through long hunts? Is your dog always giving you that angry look telling you to keep up? You train your dog, but now it's time to train yourself. Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong is the company for any hunter that is looking for an effective fitness routine to get healthier and be able to hunt longer and harder. This company has merged fitness and the passion of hunting to help people like you and me continue to do what we love. From the Rockies to the Smokies and every field or prairie in between, this company can get you ready to go longer, cover more ground, and recover quicker. Go to RockyMountainHuntStrong.com and see their program for yourself. Use the discount code GDIY to save 15% and get to work. Train harder, hunt stronger, and recover faster. Hey everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY. Adam, what do we have going on to this week? Well, we just got back from our Iowa trip with Charles Coulter and uh, had a really good time. Short, short trip. Took, yep. took a weekend and went to <laughs> Iowa. So, which some people might laugh at. It's like you really drove ten and a half hours one way to to get a day day and a half hunting. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes, if you're not where the birds are, you got to go find birds. These dogs need bird contacts, and that's what we did. Charles invited us up a couple weeks ago, and I told him, you know, don't don't invite us if you don't mean it, because we'll come up, and we did. Yep. We showed. Yep. So we went up there. Uh, these short trips, you know, I enjoy them. It's We talk all the time about finding training partners and friends and mentors and, and all that stuff in this world. If you have somebody to help split the gas with, maybe some of the uh, steering wheel time, they really aren't that bad. Even on a long road trip, it's not that bad. And even money-wise, we were talking about it. I think at, at the end of the day, each one of us came away with that opportunity for around 200 bucks each, licenses included. And, yeah, we took some deer meat with us. Uh, but you can't really even add on food because you're going to eat anyway whether you go or not. Right. Yeah, the only real expenses were the, the license and fuel. Obviously, Charles uh, had to stay at his house, so that cut back on cost. And it was about a 10-and-a-half-hour drive, so we left here Friday at like 1 o'clock. By the time we stopped two or three times, we got there right at midnight, got a couple hours of sleep, and then and then hunted the next day. And you guys will hear about how our hunt went the next day. Um, Sunday hunt. Nick, tell us a little bit because uh, we recorded Saturday night with Charles. So yeah, tell everyone how we did on Sunday. Yeah, so Charles had us up, and uh, Sunday we we're heading back out towards uh, back towards home. So he actually planned the hunt so that we could hunt for a few hours and 
it wasn't in the opposite direction. So we went an hour, hour and a half south of, of his house, and uh, we were able to fit in a pretty good walk so that we weren't worrying about the time. Oh, we got to get back back home, get, get back to work Monday. So that worked out really nice. So that 10 and a half hour drive was really more like eight and a half, nine hours. And, uh, you know, I think he said, I've done this a time or two. And yeah. he does those short trips as well. And uh, it really helped us out Sunday. But we went out to this really awesome public piece that he found and uh, gorgeous day, wasn't too hot. Wish it was a little colder, maybe even a little snow. Maybe those roosters would have held on. But, uh, yeah, we went out. We had six, seven dogs out, and they were all working great. We are splitting ground, splitting cover, and uh, we were coming across some bird contacts and mainly hens, like we, we said earlier. But uh, but that but, was the goal of the trip is to get bird contacts. I mean, it would have been nice to, to kill more roosters, but absolutely we got a bunch of bird contacts. Yeah, and, I mean, some of those contacts worked out great. I mean, I, I remember specifically Lucy slammed a point in the tall grass at one point, and uh, I thought it was a mouse, to be honest. I walked up. She was pointing straight down. I'm like, man, that's a mouse. And uh, But I, I walked over there, trust the dog, came up right underneath me, and uh, she got a face full of feathers on that flush, and I looked up just in time to make sure that uh, Mitch was back there honoring Lucy. And, and I didn't even get to see it. <laughs> you didn't get to see it. So you're like, man, was he really backing? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I saw him. So, uh, but yeah, I think it was... Right after that, you and Mitch went off to hit that one food plot. You want to tell everybody about that sequence leading up to Charles? Yeah, so we we hunted uh, through this food plot, and Nick was off to my right, and Mitchell was getting really, really birdie at the end of this food plot. I mean, his nose was to the ground, tail was whipping around like crazy. So I was just kind of standing there letting him work it, and I should have kept walking. And uh, Nick caught up with me, and I was telling him, yeah, he was getting birdie through here, and and Charles caught up and just kept walking. And that's what, you know, experienced pheasant hunter, he, yep. he probably knew what was going on and just kept on going. And I think when you have a food plot like that, you probably push birds out of it. And he knew, yeah. he knew to keep going. We just were standing there kind of enjoying yeah. the day. We're sitting there BS and just like, oh man, it's awesome out here. And next thing you know, Charles' dog is on point and uh, we see a rooster get up in front of him and he takes a shot and uh, he was a little distracted because Joe was a little off to his left, and he saw the orange hat, and by the time he realized it was a safe shot, he took it, and, and he winged it. And uh, we had six, seven dogs on the ground. All of them but one are, are NAVDA-tested. They're, they're great at tracking and, and hunting dead and all that. And, I mean, we, we, we searched through that cover hard, and we just could not come up with the bird. And it was, it was unfortunate, but it, it does happen. Yeah, um, we we gave it a good shot trying to find that bird, and uh, after probably twenty or thirty minutes of looking, we we moved on and kept hunting. And then yeah. Nick, you ended up getting another shot <laughs> at a rooster. Tell us about that. I took a poke. Uh, yeah, we were just we we're kind of coming up at the end of the cover. Me and you were already looking at the watch, like, man, we're gonna have to leave here soon. Start heading back to the truck and. And Rachel, she was uh, she was going with the wind, so the wind wasn't really in her favor. I was trying to get through this one little ditch that we we're in, and uh, imagine that you're going through a ditch and you find a ditch chicken. <laughs> and uh, so she kind of overran this rooster, and as she smelled it, as she passed it, she didn't really lock up on point, but you could tell she recognized. She tried to point. Yeah, she was turning to slam on it as the rooster got up, and. Uh, I, I was a good ways off and I didn't get my cheek down to the stock. And so the first shot wasn't that bad of a shot opportunity. The second one was just a hail Mary. Just, yeah. I'm just shooting. I'm, I'm going for it. And so I didn't hit that rooster. That was the only, only rooster that we had a chance at that day. And I heard you shoot and looked up and that rooster was probably 70 yards away. And I thought, well, we're leaving in a few <laughs> minutes. I'm going to shoot anyways. Yep. And so then, I emptied both barrels yep. with uh, no contact. <laughs> and so, uh, hey, we we got we both got to shoot a, at a bird Sunday morning. Yep. And then, uh, but everything else was hens. And uh, I'm I'm okay with that because the dogs got great opportunities all weekend. Uh, Lucy was my main goal for for needing the contacts. And I know off the top of my head, you know, five really close points and, and bird contacts. I mean, she got a face full of hen feathers at least twice. Yeah. And, and she, 
is really starting to staunch up a lot too. Yeah. That, that was the goal for you. So. Exactly. And so would it have been nice to get some birds in the vest and maybe, you know, have a dinner or two out of it? Absolutely. But, uh, we went up there with bird contacts in mind and that's what we got. And it was well worth the trip in my opinion. And even on the way back, Joe finally got to take a poke at a rooster after we were already back at the truck and Joe was, you know, meandering on behind us and, we saw that he was trying to go after Jack, and it was in that area that we kind of smelled a skunk, and we're like, oh. Yeah, so we didn't wait. Yeah, we just so, so we're like, well, he's going to go find Jack. We're going to leave this area because we don't want to get skunked. And we get back to the truck. We start loading up and everything, and we just hear a shot. And I think you said, he was like, did he just get mad and shoot Jack? <laughs> <laughs> I was joking, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, so apparently Jack, uh, Jack went in on a fence row and was holding point the whole time Joe was calling him. And there's a reason why Jack wouldn't come off point. I think Joe was even kind of hitting him with the stem collar. Like, come on, it's time to go. And Jack was like, mother, come get this bird. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, we had just walked past there and all the, the dogs were getting kind of birdie, but we were also smelling a skunk. So we're like, no way, not worth it. Keep going, keep going. And Jack just worked his way in there and, and went on point. So <laughs> exactly, Joe didn't have a choice. He had to go in there and flush that thing. So he came back up, and he only got one shot off, and he came back empty-handed. But, hey, we all got a shot on a rooster. And uh, so, but, yeah, we we all – that's what we've been wanting, wanting for a few weeks now. It's uh, Tennessee. We don't get that many bird opportunities, so we went where there are. And, like, we were just talking about these short trips are not that big of a deal as long as you have somebody to split the time and, and money with you and, and it's a good time. You meet new new people, you hunt new birds, you hunt new areas, and uh, it's a great time if you're dedicated enough to go out and make it happen. Yeah, it was a great time. Uh, I'd do it again. I think, you know, maybe not the very next weekend. It'd be good to have a week <laughs> in between. Yeah. But they're, it, it's not that hard of a trip with three it's guys not. splitting up the, the cost and, and the and driving. I mean, for 200 bucks a person, I mean, you can't even get a good preserve hunt right? with, with that. I mean, for yeah. one person and, and that many bird contacts, and plus these are wild. So, so yeah, we had a great time, and uh, we're looking forward to getting back out there with Charles. It was great of him to invite us up, him and his girlfriend, Annie, and we appreciate that and uh, their hospitality. And maybe we'll see them up next fall, maybe get there a little earlier before Charles shoots all the roosters. Yeah, we'll we have there. a better chance at some roosters if we go up in the fall, I think. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and get to Charles, and we'll talk to you next week. If you're looking for new apparel that works better for you in the field, be sure to check out the amazing products at Duck Camp. They're a direct-to-consumer company that prides itself in producing high-quality gear for every type of outdoorsman, including wing shooters. Unlike your shooting, their Upland shirts are a can't-miss. They're available in different weights to make sure you get what you need on your hunt. Check them out through the link on our website, gundogityourself.com. And if you purchase something, please be sure to tell them GDIY sent you. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall rotor-molded construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you can need from fan kits to keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back for another week of GDIY. We're actually coming from Iowa this week with Charles Coulter. He's coming today to uh, talk and explain to everybody why he shot the last rooster pheasant in the state of Iowa. <laughs> oh, Charles, Charles, how's it going? Pretty good. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that wasn't the last one, but... The last one of the day. It was well, <laughs> the only one of the day, so... We're going to find more tomorrow. We absolutely are. Yep. 
So we've been out here. Charles invited us up after we had the episode a few weeks ago, and uh, I, I warned him, you invite us up, we're probably going to come. And he said, bring it on. And we came up here, and we hit it hard today, hunted all over the place, had a lot of good dog work, had a, you know some lackluster dog work, uh, found some birds, 99% hens. But, yeah, we, they were out there, just not the roosters that we were looking for. Yeah, we we had some good dog dog work, like Nick said, but uh, I think Mitchell pointed probably fifteen mice today. He was uh, Mitchell the mouser. What do you think, Charles? There was definitely some mousing going on, and a lot of birds that were just playing running on us. So it's pretty frustrating when you we don't know. You have a young dog who can get a little bored, so it might be doing a little mousing. But at the same time. You got to go over there and check it, and you release them, and next thing you know, you're going five, six hundred yards, and then it just quits. So. Yeah, it's, it's fun to watch, though. I mean, I told you today we had uh, maybe the third or fourth hen that flushed that it was worth it to come up here, let my dog point a, a wild bird and work it, and and be steady while it flew away. That's what I'm working on right now is steadiness with my dog. So. It was worth the trip just for that. It'd be good to shoot some roosters tomorrow, but <laughs> yeah, it's always fun. It's the the yeah. hens are fun for a little while, and then pretty soon you're like, "Please be a rooster! Please be a rooster!" Yeah. yeah. So eventually, it's just like, "All right, I need to shoot something." That's why we're out here. But uh, yeah, we we popped quite a few hens today, and then uh, we we actually had two roosters that we missed out on because we weren't ready or looking the other way. Yeah, I think we I think the first one that they split on us, I think the hen went one way and the rooster went the other, and the hen ended up flushing first, and so everybody was turned to look at that, and then all of a sudden behind us, there goes the rooster, yeah. um, which they tend to circle around a little more and try to sneak out behind you more than the hens do. And then the second one was just fresh out of the truck, 20 feet in rooster up and nobody's ready so. yeah i still took a poke at it though i said I'll, i'm coming all the way up to iowa i'm taking a shot at it and yeah i'd already set my gun down <laughs> like oh not gonna happen boom <laughs> <laughs> we knew it was a long shot literally yeah. but uh didn't work out but it's still been fun uh down in tennessee we obviously don't even have pheasants but just the wild bird contacts aren't as available as what you have up here and uh even though they're hens we still got some good dog work on some of those birds yeah i think we start out today running four or five dogs charles how many dogs you usually run when you're hunting by yourself how many dogs you put out does it depend on cover and stuff like that yeah the size of the the ground that i'm on like that piece today that we hunted was pretty big so i think i said i would have probably ran four dogs on it um just from a standpoint of I would probably go into that piece and I would stay in there for three or four hours. And then also with how much running they're doing, trying to get those few birds that are going to set, I'm going to try to have as many dogs to find those birds that are running, find the ones that will set for me and, and let me get a hopefully a pointed bird and a shot bird. So I think today we had five pretty consistently on the ground between all of us. Yeah, it was nice to see the dogs work different styles but still working together uh and then they they just switch up and start working with another dog it was really neat to watch yeah i was definitely trying to get a picture of the setter backing a short hair because there's a joke in there somewhere (laughs) (laughs) well tomorrow you'll have another opportunity because uh one thing that we know about about the setter is he he backs everything he is a backing machine yeah i think adam said it best he doesn't just back he honors yeah. yeah, he's a gentleman about it. I mean, he really looks nice doing it. <laughs> Even when he just stops to see where we are, he just has a little glow about him while his tail's <laughs> straight up in the air. Yeah, he looks good enough that he can almost take the attention away from the pointing dog. And it's like, man, look at that dog honoring. And then yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, we've got a dog on point. <laughs> yeah, let's get over there. So you want to describe to everybody kind of how the season's been going for you here in Iowa and how it kind of relates to seasons past? Yeah, it's been going it's been going really well. I think every year it gets a little better just because I do I do more training and have more experienced dogs. I'm up to 6 now. So um, every year it gets a little bit better. It's last couple of weeks have been really tough. It's been unseasonably warm, you know, up in the 30s, high 30s and windy and they're just they're running. There's no snow. There's nothing to stop them. Um, and we don't have a ton of public ground. So what is available gets hit. And so those birds are under a lot of pressure and they're just, 
they they run big time. So that's what we've been fighting the most is and like we saw today is it's frustrating as you see all the points in the tracking and nothing comes of it. You know, those birds are getting hunted 365 days a year and they know how to get out and somehow they just escape them. You know, 600 yards you would think somehow we're going to come up with this bird and you just don't find it. So overall it's been really good. I mean, I've I've shot plenty of birds. It's been really well. It's just the last couple of weeks it's been really tough as it's been nice weather, a lot of hunters and the birds are able to move around. Um I think a lot of the stuff that once the snow hits and and kind of flattens it, it condenses the birds and a lot of times the public ground you know, for that couple mile area might be some of the best cover. And so that can help. And right now with the cover being up, like some of the stuff that we walked at the end of the day, that was pretty thin stuff. And we still moved some, some hens in it. And that normally if there was snow would never be able to hold a bird. It'd just be flayed over flat. And so that's another hard part is they're just distributed a lot right now. Yes. You mentioned walking through some thin stuff at the end of the day. That's much nicer to walk through than some of the other stuff we went through. Um, (laughs) Some pretty thick stuff we went through, but I noticed that I think we flushed four or five hens in like a couple hundred yards and it was the toughest walking of the day, but it probably produced the most birds for that distance. Wouldn't you guys think? Yeah. And that was also after the few people that were already out there on the public ground that we, we ran into out there that their dogs work. So we knew that they had already gone through the area. We still went through there and still produced birds. Obviously there are hens and no shots, but we still found birds to work with the dogs. Is that typically your experience with public land? Even if it's people out there and already working it you'll you still want to work it with your dogs and put your dogs through it and you you produce birds pretty regularly yeah i i generally i think i kind of said today like i don't trust other people's dogs i trust mine <laughs> so uh i i will n- not be afraid in prime habitat in a really good area to to run my dogs back through where one guy and one dog has went it's just I have a numbers game and I have way more dogs today. We had, I think when we went through the really thick stuff, we even had the little puppy on the ground. So throw another nose and we had six dogs on the ground and it's just, we have more people, more dogs. We have more of an opportunity that, I mean, we stepped on a couple birds today. They will sit very, very tight on you. So I, 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 just I'm not afraid to go back into a place, especially a place that was as big as we were in today. The birds aren't going to be able to really move that much. They're going to probably stay on that piece of property and we're going to be able to work them again. So even if say the guy in front of us does flush a rooster and we see it fly way to the other side, well, that's the way we're coming out anyway. So we can just try to rework that bird. Yeah. When we saw the, the other hunter going through the area, we already had it mapped out that we wanted to go through that area all day yeah and then we saw that guy we saw some orange and we're like oh man and we ran into some other guys and they said yeah he had a, one dog with him um i was kind of thinking well that area has already been hit but i thought charles knows this way better than i do so yeah we'll go through that area again and it makes sense what you said a few minutes ago that the birds will kind of do u-turns and circles so those birds might totally avoid that hunter and his dog and then they're ready for us. But even with six dogs on the ground, like you said, we still, our dogs still miss some. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't know how many we had that were, it's like a point, you go over there, release them, and then another point, another point, another point, and then pretty soon they just lose it. And it's just, it's just tough, man. Yeah. They know how to get away. And I, I feel like a lot of it's circling around and, and using cover transitions to, to change. And whereas in the earlier season, those birds will hit that cover transition and they usually they'll fly, whereas now they've gotten smart. And I don't know enough to know if it's saving calories or, or what, and they just choose to run more than fly right now, and they definitely are on us. Yeah, I mean, to watch all these dogs, not only were they working together, I mean, kind of in, in a team, they were all backing each other. That was really neat to see. But watching the dogs work specific tracks when they got on it, was pretty fascinating to me because there was one instance where me and you were kind of in the corner at the first walk that we did and Rachel was kind of in the tree line and your dog was 20 yards into the field and they met up in the same place it was almost like they were working the same track but they're on completely different elevations and different directions of the wind and you're saying something like you know the the air draft 
was taking it up to her, to Rachel potentially, and it was like they were working the same track just 20, 30 yards apart. That was pretty interesting to me. I've seen it a couple times where the one dog will be downwind, and the way the wind is blowing, they're actually picking up the center of that track while the other dog is nose down on it, and then you watch them track, 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 and pretty soon they just come together and go on point. In our case, the bird made it into the woods and was way gone and flushed wild and did whatever, but it's it's pretty cool to watch. I mean, these dogs have never hunted together, never been around each other, and Jack, the setter, backed the very first time he saw Mako on point. Mako was backing. Everybody was backing and honoring, and it's a lot of fun to watch when it's good dog work. Yeah, like I said, it'd be nice to, to shoot more birds, but, it, I mean, it's been worth the trip for me just to watch the dogs work and back and point and track and all the things that we really want to see out of our dogs. We saw it today. They even went in the water. Yeah. They don't like, short hairs don't like cold water, but they're yeah, swimming but around. 20 <laughs> degrees and they went swimming yeah. and no problem. It's definitely uh, late season pheasant hunting if you have a puppy getting ready for N.A., you will get your tracking experience no for doubt. sure. Yeah. And I mean, kind of to caveat off that, there's so many other opportunities that this afforded us that we can't put our dogs in where we're from. And so to make these bird dogs, you, you have to have bird contacts and wild birds, the better. And not only did we come up here and we got to do the tracking and we got to do the backing. I mean, that, that was a lot of just, great lessons that we don't get to incorporate very often but i mean adam got to work in stop to flush on some of his birds and work steadiness and stuff that we can't do down in tennessee and so that's kind of what made us want to come up here and it's like people all week were like man you're about to drive 10 and a half hours for essentially a one and a half day hunt like yeah you gotta do what you gotta do you gotta put these dogs on birds and you know we didn't get to shoot rooster stay maybe tomorrow morning, but, you know, we, we got a lot of opportunity that we can't get where we're from. Definitely wouldn't have probably shot many wild roosters at home. No, not at all. So <laughs> it's just like getting off the couch. Sometimes you just, you've got an opportunity. You just got to put the miles on. And I mean, I've, I've done it, gotten a last minute phone call. Hey, we're going to Kansas. We got a room. You want to go? And you just got to hop in and take the opportunity and you never know what it's going to turn into. Right, and that's that's kind of my point to everybody. You know, people are like, we just don't have birds here. Well, there's birds somewhere in the country. You know, make it work. If you really want to do this, just hop in the truck, grab your dog, and go. And that, I don't know, That that's kind of all I was getting at there. Yeah, and it's, uh, a lot of people think that these trips are expensive. Obviously, you guys are kind enough to have us into your home, so that cuts down on the cost quite a bit. But we were just talking earlier when we were finishing eating dinner that this is kind of the the scene. This is this is what it's all about. You meet people just like this where it's not even awkward. When we get here yesterday, we don't really know each other. And then by the end of the day, we're all buddies and, and hanging out and, and making fun of each other. Uh, and that's, Satter's back in short hairs. <laughs> yeah. And and that's that's what this bird dog world is all about. So it's it's not hard to hop in split gas two or three ways with some friends go stay with another friend make a friend in the process and and you can't recreate this scenario with pen raised birds i don't care how much money you spend you can't recreate it yeah like i i was talking about today i i have i've made some great friends that were random trips like hey i'm gonna go to this spot and hunt you want to go you know just with somebody that you barely know it's like well Let's wing it and go, and and you can you never know what it can turn into, and um, you, it definitely won't happen from the couch. Let's touch more on that. Let's say you some of those trips you were telling us about earlier. I had some fun ones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is kind of strange just meeting a person for the first time, just out of town, going on a on a road trip to hunt birds. You know, wh- what makes a good experience when you're doing that because it you know you've had that experience a lot of times you've had good and bad tell us you know what was good about some of them and then tell us some of the the bad experiences so that these people know hey don't do that yeah the the one we were talking about today that was probably the worst was a group of five guys and um there was just two guys that had to run their dog in every field to the point where nobody else was getting to work their dogs and 
their dogs are obviously beat down and wore out and like, nope, we're going to keep hunting them. We're going to keep hunting them. And every time you'd bring it up, nope, nope, we're running our dogs. And it just, you got to be, have a little bit of, you know, give and take, you know, like today I have timber that's in heat. We had two boys, so you got to figure out a spot to work them in. And so we, I just picked a smaller spot, you know, that was only a 30 or 40 minute walk and give the boys a break and we'll let timber do a little bit of hunting. Um, a lot of times when I've had problems on the random hunts, like, Hey, my buddy's buddy has a spot. Do you want to go? It's just been people that, um, they're, they're just solely focused on themselves instead of trying to make a fun trip, like have fun, like just go out and, and have fun instead of trying to be like, I need to do this or I want to do this. It's just, how can we make sure that everybody has a good time? And when, when those kind of attitudes are on the trip, it's always great. So go into it just open-minded and say, you know, I don't really do it that way maybe, but let's give it a shot and maybe I'll learn something new. Absolutely. I mean, Adam was kind of talking something similar like that. We came up here. We don't have to put birds in the vest. I mean, we're from Tennessee. We're used to that. Uh, But just we're here for a good time. We're here to put uh, dogs on the ground and give them an opportunity that we can't for the millionth time. I've already said it. But, you know, with that, there, there comes some realistic everybody tries to promote the positives in life, especially on social media. Everybody's just like, Hey, limit, limit, limit. You know, you don't have to shoot a limit of birds to have a successful trip. And that's kind of what today was about. We didn't put, we only brought back one bird, but we had a lot of success as well. And so it's also important to just go out with the right mindset. Like you just said, you're out there for a good time. Let's make a good environment for the whole group and not worry so much about putting birds in the vest. We all want that, but it's not shouldn't be a requirement to be a successful trip. Yeah, and keeping a positive attitude. Like every time today that we would get to the end of a draw or a waterway, I'm like, all right, this is it. Like every point, you know, that or that maybe turned into a track or maybe a mouse, I'm like, this is it. Every time up until four thirty. Every time. And if you get down, I mean, I was pretty frustrated after we left the first piece that we hunted because of what I saw earlier in the year in that piece. And obviously it's been hunting a lot, a lot, a lot. There's, I mean, the amount of, it went from seeing 200 birds two months ago to we saw 15 to 18 today. Um, and I was pretty frustrated with that, but I understand it. But in the moment, I'm just like, this is it right here. You know, all, you know, just like the one bird we shot, I was like, all right, we got it now. This is the monkey off our back. Let's just, Go find some more now. And just having that attitude all day just makes for a better day instead of being so worried about, oh, no, I'm not going to shoot this or I'm not going to do that or, you know, that just leads to bad decisions. Like I'm going to go, I'm going to hop out and hunt this fence row real quick because I saw some birds in it. And then next thing you know, a farmer's yelling at you and you're getting in trouble. Just keep positive attitude and do the right things and it'll eventually work out. Yeah, I think sometimes we set our expectations really high based on, like, what Nick was saying. With social media, for example, people usually aren't putting the bad parts of their life on social media and promoting everything that they're doing that's bad or not, you know, things they're not great at. And we developed this idea of, oh, we're doing a a bird hunting trip. We have to have pictures of limits of birds and, you know, roosters hanging off a fence post with a nice prairie in the background well (laughs) it's not reality so sometimes as i'm walking out there today i'm thinking yeah i'm going to go back to work and and guys are going to say how many birds did you kill "Uh, i didn't kill any and and they're going to be like you drove 10 hours you know to to drive up there and not kill any birds yeah i mean if that's your expectation of a good time then go for it but the average We've person had a great time. Yeah, the average person isn't going to be able to relate to the good that happened on this trip, the the stuff that we've already touched on, and, and and all that. So, it is important to have that mindset. I mean, yeah, our goal is, out there is to produce birds and put them in the vest, and hopefully we do that in the morning. But the people that you know sum up an entire hunt based on the number of birds that you produce, it's there's a lot more to it than that. Did you say that there, like a couple months ago, there would be 200 birds out there where today we saw 15 to 18 or something? Yep. 
Yep. So I think that would actually be overwhelming for my dog. My dog's a year and a half old. I would probably leave frustrated. We might have more birds in the bag, but I don't know that he would have gotten the, the quality of work that he got. He probably just would have been running all over the place busting birds. Yeah, when it, when, and also when you come into – I mean, you guys have never hunted Iowa, so you come into a new state, a, a, you know, a species that you've hunted before, but – or you have, right? But – yeah, Adam, you haven't. Yeah, right? yeah, this is my first time hunting wild. So presents. new, new species, new state. Like, it's it's hard to say. Go into it expecting to not shoot anything because it's tough, um, you know. And we're also in the last weekend of the season, so this is this is getting to be towards the end here. So coming into it with the attitude of we're going to get some bird work and and we're going to have a positive attitude and we're going to get this stuff done. You just it, let the dominoes fall where they may, and and you'll have a good time. But if you have expectations of I can't wait, I know I know exactly what I'm going to do with my six birds, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to, and I, it, it's just you're just going to get more and more frustrated as the day goes on because it's not happening, and then when an opportunity does come, you may just be so frustrated that you it, you you blow it because you're like I got to get this bird. You've got so much pressure on yourself. So your dogs were very impressive today. They obviously have a lot of experience. I'm assuming you have to use pen raised birds during the training season. How do your dogs transition from wild birds to pen raised birds? What's that look like? Um, think of it like batting practice. So, you know, a major league pitcher pitches, you know, 98 miles an hour. It's nothing like batting practice, but all of the fundamental fundamentals that have to be there in order for batting practice in batting practice to face that live pitcher. So all the training that we do, get some, you know, pointing, get some, working on birds gets all of that foundation done and then it just takes time in front of the real deal to really get it dialed in um you know i i also have six dogs but i run two and three at a time so a lot my dogs get a lot of experience um if i ran them one at a time it'd probably be a lot harder because they obviously would each get less time on the ground but nothing they they have to get some kind of bird experience and the best way to do that is where you can set up training situations make them successful and then slowly build from that and just think of it as practice I mean, that's kind of the, the easiest way to think about it have you noticed a difference in puppies that you had that that you had during uh, hunting season that you're able to get started on wild birds in comparison to dogs you started on pen raised birds not much i mean no not really like okay. th- for instance, Tipsy is the youngest one, and, sh- and she's six months old. Um, Mako was about this age, her first bird season too. Um, as long as they have a great search and they're out there hunting, it's all you can ask for them to do at this age. So they're going to get a chance to maybe bump some birds. I've seen Tipsy do that now, where she's turned and went, "What? What the heck was that?" and and bumped a bird or two. Great, let her figure it out. Um, you know, she found out what mice were. She found out that she shouldn't be playing with mice. Um, <laughs> so all of that kind of stuff is is all great experience for them. Do I think that you have to start them out like that? I don't personally. I think that they need that experience at some point. But whether they get the wild bird experience in the front end or the back end in their first year, I, I haven't seen a difference as far as when I've gotten puppies. So obviously today – we went after pheasant. It sounds like that's what you primarily focus on here. What other bird opportunities are there in Iowa? The most common one besides pheasant would be quail. Um, and then Hungarian partridge are in the western part of the state. Um, I, my experience with them is it takes the right weather conditions. They like to hang out in um, chisel plowed and, and um, picked cornfields. And you just can't do anything with them out there. Um, when we've gotten on them, it's been, you know, heavy snow and they've been forced to go into good cover. And then if you can find the unicorn of Tennessee in, uh, in <laughs> Iowa as well, there is some rough grouse and I have moved them deer hunting in Northeastern Iowa. So those are the, the four main upland birds that we have. We also do get some woodcock that come through, um, and we've hunted those too. Okay. And so you, you've hunted all these species, so You've had success on all the species in this state? I've shot one hun. One hun. Yep. Okay. And so tomorrow we're going to a place, I believe you were saying earlier, that has both pheasant and quail. Yep. Okay. Um, is there going to be any difference, 
you know, as far as what terrain we're working or cover based on where we're going tomorrow as today? Yeah. So when you're going to be in a place that has both, you're going to have a lot more um, ag grounds. Quail tend to live in the feathered edges between heavier cover and timber and then the the agricultural ground, the tilled up dirt. So that edge habitat is where you're going to find a lot more. So as you get into the southern part of the state, the DNR tends to work their ground to try to uh, create that habitat. So also doing stuff like hinge cuts and that kind of things can help to having brush piles that they use as cover. Um, so we'll see some of that. We'll definitely see more ag than we did. Today we hunted a lot more mixed bottom ground, you know, with some heavier CRP and some thinner stuff because of flooding and stuff like that. So this, what we'll see tomorrow, we'll, we'll have more food plot, more ag kind of a feel with edges and strips and bigger feel and not quite as big of a field. Okay. So what's your preference? Like, do you, do you prefer hunting pheasants over quail or huns or is it kind of just more opportunity around in these parts? Do you have a personal favorite one way or the other? I would hunt quail every day of the year if I could. <laughs> Opportunity wise, pheasants more there. I I hunt ninety percent public ground, and so the opportunity is much more there for pheasants than quail. Uh, but when a covey gets up, it's just gets it just makes me go crazy. Like I'm like ah everywhere, which which bird, and I just love it. So when you do find a covey and you get that covey rise that you love, are you only shooting in the covey rise or do when they split off, do you take the dogs and go chase singles, or do you just try and go find another covey? Uh, a lot of times it depends on weather, the size of the covey, where the singles went. Um, if it's nice weather, it was a really big covey, um, and they're out in some grassland, I'll absolutely go chase down singles. Um, I just try to be mindful and not try, try to take a mental note. You know, if I saw 20 birds get up, then taking three or four isn't going to be detrimental. If I saw eight get up, I might not even shoot on the cubby rise. Yeah, we kind of talked about that a little bit earlier today when we are talking about the difference in bird numbers in our first spot compared to uh, from a few weeks ago to today and just the pressure that it hits. And it, it, it just – some people kind of go out there with that mindset that, hey, I'm out there to – shoot birds and you don't come across a covey all the time take advantage of it while you can but they don't understand that if you take so many birds out of that covey then there's it makes it rougher for them to survive the winter and then you don't have that covey for the next you know year two or three you know three so it's important like you said to recognize are you shooting at a covey of 20 plus birds or five to eight yeah, I just I just try to take mental note of it and just try to make sure that I'm doing the best I can for that covey. Um, you know, we've had some pretty bad lows in Iowa as far as quail have gone, um, and we've gotten really lucky the past couple of years, and they've been they've been doing pretty good. So they're only gonna stay that way as if people aren't going in there. Especially, you know, you come, you hunt, and you just want to get those birds, but you just have to remember that they need the those birds to survive especially as we get into february when it's going to start dropping the temperature's really going to start dropping because apparently our winter is delayed so <laughs> yeah, i'm sure it'll come you'll you'll be getting snow in april or may oh yeah always it would be miserably cold in march so i noticed today hunting uh you've got you know utility dogs prize one utility dogs you got a vc um the level of steadiness you expect while hunting is different from those testing standards what what's your thought on steadiness for testing and hunting i mean i know what you prefer because i hunted with you today but why do you prefer it so uh the requirements of the test of the dog stand steady wing shot fall um so that's what we do um it's not really an option they have to stand until you release them right um, when i bird hunt i'm out there me and the dogs we're having fun um I try to do everything I can so that I flush the bird. Just just from a standpoint of then I'm ready. I know what's going on. I don't have dogs jumping. But after that, I, I don't get after them. I just let them. They're going to go. They're going to go. Um, it's pretty easy to stop them when you don't shoot because of all of that training. 
they know right away that that bird wasn't shot and they just almost always pull right off. Occasionally I just have to yell at them, you know, no bird or, um, so I go out there with the mindset that I'm out here to hunt. I'm out here for the dogs to have fun. And that's what I do. Having all of the ability though, to stop them, to handle them, um, you know, that a lot of that handling, just handling around the field. Like I want to go over and check this out. I want to move over here translates directly to when you're in the bird field at a hunt test and you need to handle around. Uh, I feel that all of the wild bird hunting has helped a ton with that. I can very easily handle in the field with just a simple call of their name and they're over there with me. And that just comes from reps out there in the field when they're younger, I'll tend to run the collar a lot more. Uh, bird hunting to get them to come with me and then as they do that more and more naturally i see that transfer directly into testing so that's the one of the the things i talked about last time was i i only have three rules and that's i flush the bird you retrieve the hand and you honor and and those just make for a nice hunt um i have nothing against steadiness wise i mean you you handled your dog steady today i think it's cool I just, I just had to pick a line somewhere, and I just decided that what I was going to do was let them go with the bird. So some of the dogs you have, you've run them in utility multiple times. So as you run that dog in utility, get it steady, and then transition to hunting season, and then have gone back to running that dog in utility again, what's that transition like going from hunting where you're not enforcing the steadiness stuff, and then you go back to the training field, and start doing steadiness do they get it pretty quick do they know the difference or is it a big struggle i have not had any struggle at all um just takes a few birds to get them back tight and and even the preserve that i guide at here they dizzy and plant birds like we would in a training field a, a lot of times i'll see the four-wheeler leaving the field and they will go from saturday hunting wild birds going with the bird to standing steady to wing shot and fall at the preserve the very next day. They are very much aware that it is a very different situation. Part of it is situational. They know that preserve. They know the bird fields there, and they understand where we are. But I have to believe that they can smell human scent. They, they just know the situation is different. And I can see it on a lot of their body languages, too. Just You can just see it that they're, they know the difference. So I haven't had much trouble at all. Um, the first season that I really got timber steady and was getting her ready, I did hunt her steady to wing shot fall. And it was just, for me, it was just too much work to try to maintain it. You know, you, you have running birds, you're trying to get on the birds. You know, did you, did you self-release to go on and hunt or did you start tracking what's going on? It, it just found it easier to just like I said, pick that line and go with it. Yeah, I struggled with that a little bit today too where my dog would point and then it would be non-productive and I'm going, all right, well, I'm working on steadiness. I've got to wade through this stuff that we're talking about walking through earlier. I'm like, I don't want to walk all the way over to the dog. We've already walked who knows how many <laughs> miles. Yeah, I don't want to walk that much further to tap them on the head to let Especially them go. Especially when you can see in their body language, right? The birds moved on. I mean, we we had a great example of that today where he absolutely slam point. Mako was coming in, who I thought was going to end up backing him. All of a sudden, turns and right as that's all happening, you can just see his head turn to his right, and you can just tell that bird is moving. It, it's moving on, and that steadiness in him is saying, "I can't move until I'm released." I kind of saw towards the end of the day, he was kind of figuring that out. Like the birds moved on. I can move on myself. So even with the running him steady, he's going to eventually figure out what he can do and what he can't do. And as long as it doesn't cause too many problems for you, once you start testing, you'll just have to watch him and see, you know, chucker don't run a lot, but they will run. So you're just going to have to watch that as you get back into the bird field and make sure he doesn't get too creepy on you. Yeah, because in the end, I, I want to be able to hunt with my dog, but I also want to test and, and do well at testing. So, yeah, we learned a lot today. I learned a lot today, and uh, I know my dog learned a lot today, too. It was a good experience for him and yeah. for me. I think we all learned a lot, and uh, I, I guess really the only question I have left for you, Charles, is uh, when you coming down to Tennessee to hunt the unicorns down there. 
hey, I'll just drop all six. We'll see what we can find. I'm sure somebody will flush a bird somewhere out of range and we'll never get a chance to actually see it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we really do appreciate you you and Annie for having us up here and letting us stay here and, and cooking dinner tonight and everything. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow morning. And, uh, yeah, it's it's not every day that you get an invite to go hunt a new species, new new place and you hadn't even met the guy so uh in person that is yeah and it's it's nice i mean the food was great uh the old-fashioned cocktail was great it's nice to to be in a dog-friendly home i think we have 10 dogs in the house right now <laughs> something like that. um surprised they're not making much noise they made noise last night and uh kept us up throughout the night pretty much kept me up throughout the night I well think they rode in the kennel in the truck all day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yesterday today they were running 20 miles each yeah they should they should get some good sleep tonight so yeah thanks again for having us this has been uh a really memorable trip for me and I've, I've learned a lot just from being around you guys so it's been good yeah i love having love having people love hunting with new people and part of the thing that you know i was joking with some of the guys that i hunt with is you know they everybody kind of wonders you know how is it going to work out you know i'm like now nah, they're navda guys they'll be fine and, and it's always been true so yep, yep. so it, it's been a blast and we'll definitely have to do it again and see if we can get you to go come down south and glut for punishment and really put in the miles in the mountains down there but uh yeah appreciate it and uh guys we'll check back next week Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.